Billy Flanagan. Billy Flanagan. Billy Flanagan. Billy Flanagan. I'm milling about with Cullen Douglas. He is the director and Billy Flanagan. He is the star of The Happiest Man on Earth. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank Thanks so you. much for having Thank us. Thank you, Robin. I feel it's like pleasure. I'm in Walt Disney World. Well, you look like you're at Walt Disney World. I just left there. <laughs> so, so you're still working there. That's so I am. wonderful. Yeah. I'm in my 41st year of employment as an entertainer at Walt Disney World. Amazing. Well, I want to get to that. But first, I want to, I want to get the story of how the two of you met each other and what inspired this. Okay, well, um, <laughs> Colin actually works at Disney, but we never met there, and I'm going to let him take it over from here. Um, actually, over uh, 20 years ago, almost 25 years ago at this point, um, I worked as a performer as well as an associate show director down at Walt Disney World. And back then, even 25 years ago, the name Billy Flanagan was legendary. It was, people said it and it was almost like they were making the sign of the cross every time they said it. It was like, okay, who is this Billy Flanagan? But we never actually crossed paths. And then when lockdown happened uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I started to see, because I obviously still have so many friends who are performers out at Disney, on my Facebook page, I started seeing people talking about getting flanagrammed. And I quickly wrote and said, what's a flanagram? Do I want one? Is this a good thing? <laughs> and they now. were like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and there were people like, no, Billy Flanagan. He's out there on his bike delivering these singing and dancing telegrams. And so I was able to reach out and get in touch with Billy. And I said, Billy, let's talk. And, and from there, and so I actually, Billy and I physically did not meet until the film was was basically in its final cut. He surprised me out here in Los Angeles with my own flanogram. Um, I love it. So, but now now we're we're lifelong friends, so it's all good. So so Billy, I know you've been all over the world with this flanogram. Maybe not the world, but at least three thousand miles country. away. <laughs> right. Yep. So so what an altruistic, wonderful thing to do. I mean, I wish I knew you then when I was going through my COVID lockdown. Uh, I tell you what, it just really started out as a, I went to one person's house and then from there it grew because she said I visited her and other people wanted the, the little pull up on your bike, ring the doorbell back up. So we're socially distant, a little song and dance. And I always sang about how many miles it took me to get to their house to see them. And then it just kind of grew from there and and everybody was requesting them. And I was happy to honor the requests because I wasn't doing anything. You know, I was home on lockdown and I'd much rather be outside and being active and entertaining. So as people say, you know, I found my stage. It just wasn't at Walt Disney World. Did you wear like one of those little GoPro things and you were taping everything? Because we see a lot of that in the documentary. Yeah, I I did not. No, no. People, uh, they had a crew follow me around one day, but I just brought my own camera, my phone with me, which would give me directions on where I was going because some of the places were 42 miles from my house on the other side of Disney where I never go. So I'd always have my phone with my GPS on it. And then I would always leave by taking a selfie with the people. So 
it it was really really a, a fun thing i never thought it would get as far as it did it was just kind of my way of of spreading a little happiness and joy and funniness and people rolling their eyes going oh typical billy <laughs> But it really, it was so heartwarming and it's so heartwarming to see it on this documentary. Uh, and Colin, when you were interviewing people, were, were you surprised that they were as surprised that they got a flanagram? It became just uh, during the those days of, of lockdown, it became like a badge of honor. I mean, people were like, I got flanagrammed, you know, and people were just waiting, you know, and then like, as you see in the film, people were baiting Billy going, well, you know, I'm in Texas. I'm sure I'm never going to get one. And then sure enough, Billy, you know, would, would deliver one by the end of it. And I know Billy, you're, you're still delivering flanograms. I saw on Instagram the other day that you welcomed a newborn baby into, into the world the other yeah. day, but at this point, or rather as sort of encapsulating his travels, he traveled over 7,000 miles on his bike, delivering oh, these yeah. flanograms. So that in itself was enough for me to say to my producing partner, Randy Goodwin, look, we need to make a film about this. After talking to Billy, I discovered that there was a deeper narrative that if he was going to be open to it, we could explore and that perhaps the film could get elevated and, and perhaps actually make a difference maybe. Yeah, I mean, documentaries as, as you make them, they always twist and turn and the story always changes. So Billy, were you, were you shocked in a way that it changed to the degree that it did? I was so pleased that Cullen offered to tell my story because I never really talked about uh, a lot of the things that have happened in there. You know, the bullying happened in school when I was younger wanting to be a performer, wanting to be a singer, wanting to be a dancer. And it wasn't cool back then in the, you know, early 70s to late 70s. And so that was kind of traumatic that I had gone through. And with the help of uh, one of my teachers who was in the film, and I just cried when I saw her in there, I, I kind of overcame that obstacle and continued my journey on what I really wanted to do, be an entertainer. And then, you know, later on in life and coming out and, and all that whole story, I never talked about that either. It was a very private thing that just, it was a thing that happened in my life and people were very respectful of my privacy. So it wasn't something I was so forthcoming about. But after speaking with Colin and Randy and, and telling them the story, Colin so graciously asked me to ask my family if it would be okay that we do this in order to help other people who may be struggling, you know, those kids who are being bullied, somebody who is closeted and is wondering, do I come out? Do I not? What do I do? You know, and just knowing that somebody else is going through the same thing you're going through, I think helps. And I'm all about helping people. I'm all about bringing smiles to people's faces. And that's kind of like what I feel my purpose is. So give kids the world you know that's one of my favorite things about working for disney make a wish foundation to give kids the world when they come just seeing somebody in the audience with that pin on and me wanting so desperately to reach out to them somehow and just bring that little bit more magic than they would have received if we ignored it cullen told my story better than i ever could 
He was brilliant at doing it and then weaving the flanograms and the bullying and my Disney career. And that, I mean, just the way that it was edited and the time that him and Jeremy Glee spent on getting it just right, seeing it in the theater for the first time with an audience there watching it and having people laugh at the stories. And then you heard them sniffling and crying and then laughing again and then crying again. It's that emotional roller coaster that any film would love to be. And it was just fantastic seeing it. So Cullen, what would you say were some of the gems that you discovered along the way? I think it was the the accessibility of uh, Billy's family to talk about some of the the hard stuff um, that really presented it as as sort of like just a wonderful embarrassment of riches that you know I had hours and hours of of his family talking about that time period. Um, the other thing that was really quite exciting for for myself was the fact that you know. So many of the people interviewed in the film are entertainers. And so here I was in the middle of lockdown and the pandemic saying, I would like to put you on camera to talk about Billy Flanagan. So I, in essence, was offering them a stage and I had these great heartfelt conversations with people that, you know, I jokingly think that if I had been doing a documentary about, say, some factory in middle America where people weren't accustomed to talking on camera, that I probably would not have gotten the depth that I got. Um, and then I think the other thing, as you were pointing out, how the documentary, when you're in post, continues to shift and mold and find its narrative. We had to take a hard right turn when Disney was forced to lay off and eventually fire 720 performers. And Jeremy and I recognized that if we don't talk about this, there's going to be this huge elephant in the room. And what was such a wonderful gift again as a filmmaker was circling back to three of our sort of heroes in the film and revisiting them a year later. And every single one of them saying, you know what, if Disney calls and offers me a job, I, I will come back. I will do this. And it was such a great thing because I wanted the film to be a love letter to not only Billy, but to live performers everywhere. And then in essence, it turned into the live performers love letter to Disney and, and the culture that's been created there. Because, you know, there are many theme parks all across the country. Disney is different and people know it. Oh, you know? yes. There's nothing like it. So, Billy, um, how what did it feel like to you to sort of go back into your archives and see all those old video performances that you It was did? great. You know, what a great project for me during COVID as well. When I wasn't biking, I came home, I came up to my office and I was putting old videotapes that I had onto the computer and then sending them off to Cullen and Randy to say, if whatever you want to use, you know, this videotape was taken by my wife. This videotape was taken by a friend. This was, so getting permission for all of those and usage of all of them. And who was that in there? And, oh gosh, I forget her name. And, you know, taking a picture and sending it to people say, what is her name? I forgot. I worked with her in 1982. So uh, it was really, really fun to sit there, especially the family videos and things. Because, you know, after you do it, 
you put it in a box. You don't really sit there. You might watch it once, but going back and watching that, I would send little snippets off to my kids and say, oh, look at this, how cute you were. It was fantastic. So Colin did a lot of um, interview footage go on the cutting room floor. I mean, what happened? It unfortunately did. We interviewed over 80 individuals for the film and only around 40 um, actually were it included in the final cut. And that had nothing to do with the interviewers themselves. Um, but you know, as, as a journalist, sometimes you have to cut. Uh, and, you know, I couldn't make a five hour documentary. Um, but that being said, we have all of the footage and we have begun discussions about creating a docu-series. Um, uh, uh, because there's still so many stories to be told um, that people shared with us, but I just didn't have the real estate to be able to clear it. And it's funny, uh, you know, Billy's talking about the highs of being able to use all of these different archival videos and things like that. What was a high for him turned into such a stressful thing for me on my end. You know, I, I have made my living thus far primarily as an actor and as a writer, and I've directed some, but this is my first feature film and as a documentarian as well. And, and it was such a new territory. And I didn't realize going into it that the clearance that was needed. Oh yeah. For a, it was incredible. Literally, I have memorized every single frame of this film because I needed to identify who was who and who owned the rights of it. And so it, it, I, I shared this with a friend that, getting a film like this through clearance was sort of like jumping out of an airplane naked and being asked to get dressed before you could pull the cord. It was like, here's the earth and it's coming straight for you and you're putting on your socks and shoes as best you can and calling Billy at 1130 going, look at this video. Who is the dancer third from the right? You know, and Billy going, I don't know. You know, it was really, it was, it was an exciting time. We'll call it that. They worked so hard. Let me tell you. And I, I appreciate you calling me the star of the film. I would call myself the subject. I was so humbled that they found it interesting enough to put this on, but so excited that my friends got to be a part of it and be in it and get to see themselves and their kids got to see them. And it was, that was so exciting. Well, you know, show people are such a unique breed and Billy, you're such a unique breed. I don't know anybody as happy as you. Are you really that happy? I, you know, I, I really am uh, on a daily basis. I always say I'm employed, I'm insured, I'm healthy. What don't I have to be happy about? You know, it, everything's great. That's I do a, a lot point. of reading. I do a lot of um, podcast listening, a lot of meditating just to help myself, you know, take anything that comes my way that's negative and try to turn it into a positive. Like I did with COVID, you know, I did, I can't just sit, my house was in dying order. Everything was all set. It's like, what am I going to do now? I'll go visit people. I'll go try to make people laugh or so it worked out unbelievably, but it was something that I needed to do to make myself feel like I had a purpose and I didn't, I don't play video games. I don't watch TV much. You know, I, I have to be outside. I have to be active. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Colin, what do you feel was like the driving purpose for this documentary? What did you want audiences to take away from it? I wanted, uh, I think a couple of things. I feel like the takeaway is maybe recognizing what a simple, small act of kindness can do and how it can reverberate and really change people's perspective. Um, you know, it was, it, it really kind of goes to that paying it forward, you know, paying for the person behind you in the drive-through, that kind of, those little simple acts and, and Billy's example of, you know, just getting on his bike and trying to get exercise and then trying to brighten somebody's life, how he was doing it in such a selfless way that it really changed people's DNA in those early days of the pandemic. And, and so that at the base level would, would be it. And then I think in just a bigger, bigger overarching thought would be that, you know, there's so much division in our world right now. There's so much hurt, there's frustration, there's anger. And at the end of the day, it feels like, you know, if we can just kind of recognize that we're a lot more alike than we are different, maybe we could get through this a little bit better, you know? And I felt like the more specific that I got with Billy's story, the more accessible it became, you know? Because people, they see people when they go into a, a theme park like Walt Disney World and they see a performer up there and they see them for that 20 minute show and then they go get their fast pass and they go ride a ride. They don't realize that that performer might be married in a relationship, have a family, have a mortgage, have worries and doubts, just like the rest of us. And so it felt like, hey, guys, we're all going through, you know, COVID was a real leveler. It kind of, you know, reset the thing. I joked with my wife that, you know, when the industry shut down as a whole, it was the first time that I wasn't necessarily jealous of another, you know, actor because we were all out of work. You know, yeah. Brad Pitt wasn't working, so I didn't have to feel bad. <laughs> it leveled about the playing field. Yeah, it, that's it really so interesting. Did. I felt the same way between journalists and actors. You know, here we were doing these Zoom interviews, and it just totally leveled the equality of just being people chatting with each other. So, Billy, I want to talk a little bit about your beginnings. Uh, did you want to be a Broadway singer-dancer? Was that your dream? It was. I went to the Boston Conservatory of Music. I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Musical Theater. And I got the job at Disney my senior year in college. And I thought, you know, I'll go there. I'll stay a year. And then I'll audition for Broadway and, and do all these things. And my first year at Disney... I got to do so many things, you know, on top of being a kid of the kingdom, which I was, I danced in front of Cinderella Castle, which you see in the background and over in the Tomorrowland stage. And then we got to do this huge 4th of July spectacular. Then we went into rehearsals to open Epcot, which was not even, you know, it was Walt's thought years ago that you saw on the wonderful world of Disney on Sunday nights. And now I'm standing here in front of it on opening day as a performer, one of the 12 main performers that did that. So after that, then Christmas came and we opened a brand new Christmas show in front of Cinderella Castle that was huge. And I thought, this place is magical. You were just always doing something different. And then once Epcot opened, I went over to World Dancers for a little bit, went back to the Magic Kingdom to do a show called Fantasy Follies. 
And then they made me what they call a park swing. So I learned every show in both parks and wherever they needed me, I would go. So in 1986, I only had six days off the whole year, but I was doing what I loved to do. And in the meantime, I ended up getting married. I had, you know, kids at the time and I became such a workaholic that, you know, things at home weren't great because my wife was home with two babies. So I asked to be transferred out to Disneyland to do a show that I had just opened at Walt Disney World. They were opening at Disneyland. Then I went back to Walt Disney World and it picked right back up again. As soon as I got back, it was teach Billy this show, teach him this show, because I didn't say no and I learned quickly. So it was something that they could just hear. We need someone to learn the show in three days. I'll do it. And I did. You know, I went home and I worked on it while I wasn't in rehearsals and I opened the show. You know, I opened Tarzan Rocks in a day and a half. I learned the entire show. And it was something that it was a great reputation to have. And it kept me really, really busy. So I've had a career like no other. And obviously, I'm still here. You know, I just signed contract number 41. Amazing. Because we're only offered a one-year contract. So after Amazing. that one year, you have to be reassessed or re-auditioned. Or, so it's very, very competitive. And now I'm competing with people that are 40 years younger than me. Babies you're competing against. Babies. But, you know, I, I, that's why I, you know, I try to stay in shape. I try to be as youthful as I possibly can. That's why you ride 3,000 miles a day. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cullen, um, do you think you want to do different types of documentaries moving forward? Did you have fun? I think what I discovered, I had a, a yes. At the end of the day, despite jumping out of airplanes naked, I, I had an immense amount of fun. Um, I think like anything, uh, what it helped me to do, just in the same way that Billy found his flanagrams, this film found me in that it was my creative outlet when I could no longer be on a set. And it allowed me it, it gave me the reason to wake up in the morning when there really wasn't a whole lot of things to wake up for. And so, you know, I, I would come in, I would start to work and all that kind of stuff. It reminded me that I am a storyteller, whether I'm directing a documentary or writing a narrative or acting in something that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And so, you know, I, I joke half serious about the docu-series. The thing that amazed me, you know, not to take anything away from Billy, because he is extraordinary and and his story is incredible. Um, but it, what it reminded me too is that there we all have stories, every single one of us. And so it's a matter of shining a light on it. And through art, we can sometimes heal and we can grow. And that's what I just want to keep doing. I, I love to tell stories as well in a different way. My stories have to have music in them and, and be singing, dancing, yada, yes, yada, yada. Everybody always says, you know, how come you're not auditioning for Star Wars? I'm like, it wasn't a musical. I, 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 need, I need that, you know, I love that, the Broadway stage. And, you know, I guess it's never too late as well to, if my thing doesn't work out at Disney, I'm alone now, I can go to New York and my kids are grown and gone go to New York and try my uh, try my time there at on Broadway. 
your next contract talk, you just take in the DVD of Billy Flanagan, <laughs> The Happiest Man on Earth, put it on the table and go, are there any questions here? You know. Thank you so much for joining me. Many, many more storytelling along the way for both of you. Great. Thank you thank so much you. for having us. And, thank and you. For thank you for watching the film and promoting the film. I hope that people that do watch it, go ahead and review it and rate it. Right now we're 100% at, on Rotten Tomatoes. It's wonderful. Congratulations. Great. I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed it, but it really it was it was all Colin. <laughs> Subject Thank you Billy, but it was you. Brilliant. So, it's a love admiration fest. society. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>